Chapter sixty four of The Wanderer or Female Difficulties. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kirsten Nelson. The Wanderer or Female Difficulties by Fanny Burney. Chapter sixty four. Harley, confused, disconcerted, remained motionless, but when the conscious Juliet would have glided silently past him, he entreated for a moment's audience. "'Oh, no, Mr. Harley, no!' she cried. "'These are scenes and alarms that must be risked no more.' She was hurrying away, but upon his saying, "'Hear me, at least, for Eleanor,' she turned back. His eye now reproached even her compliance, but he rapidly communicated his opinion, that the conference demanded by Eleanor ought, in prudence for the present, to be avoided, since while she still had some favourite object in view, life would unconsciously be still supported. Time thus might insensibly be gained not only for eluding her fatal project, but happily perhaps for taming the dauntless wildness that made her now seem to stand scoffingly at bay between life and death. Juliet saw nothing to oppose to this statement, and thanking him that at least it liberated her, was again hastening away. "'Hold, hold!' cried he, stopping her. "'It is not from me that it must liberate you. Eleanor has ratified the restoration of your word.' "'Oh, were that all?' she cried hastily, but stopping short, deeply blushing. "'Mr. Harley,' she added, "'compel me not to repeat declarations that cannot vary. Aid me rather generously, kindly, shall I say. Aid me to fly to avoid you, lest you become yourself,' her voice faltered as she pronounced, "'the most fatal of my enemies.' The penetrated Harley, charmed though tortured, saw her eyes glittering with tears, but she forced her way past him, and took refuge in her chamber." There, in deep anguish, she was sinking upon a chair, when she received the gentle balm of a letter from Gabriella, written with ecstatic joy at the prospect of their reunion. This decided her plan of immediate escape to London, under a full conviction that Harley, to obviate any calumnious surmises from her disappearance, would studiously shew himself in the world, however cautiously he might avoid any interview with Eleanor. The shock of Juliet at this unfortunate intrusion somewhat abated, when she reflected that confirmed hopelessness might perchance lead Eleanor to acquiesce in disappointment, for hopelessness, equally with resignation, though not so respectably, terminates all struggles against misfortune. She now therefore seized an opportunity, when she knew Mrs. Ireton to be engaged with Mrs. Maple, for going forth to secure a place in some machine, for a journey to London on the following morning. This office performed, she thought, while returning home, that she perceived, though at a considerable distance, Harley. In the dread of some new conflict, she was planning to seek another way back, when recollecting that she had his bank-notes in her work-bag, she judged that she might more promptly return them at this accidental meeting than in the house of Mrs. Ireton. She slackened, therefore, her pace, and, taking out her ever-ready packet, turned round as the footstep approached, gravely and calmly to deliver it when to her utter surprise she faced Lord Melbury. Pleasure emitted its brightest hues in the tints of her cheeks, at sight of the marked respect that chastened the visible delight with which she was looked at and accosted by the young peer. "'How fortunate,' he cried, "'am I to meet with you thus directly. This moment only I dismount from my horse. I have a million of things to say to you from Aurora, if you will have the goodness to hear them, and I have more at heart still my own claim upon your patience. When may I see you for a little conversation?' The pleasure of Juliet was now severely checked by perplexity, how either to fulfil or to break her engagement. 
observing the change in her countenance and her hesitation and difficulty to answer lord melbury whose look and air changed also said in a tone of concern miss ellis had not forgotten her kind promise your lordship is extremely good to remember either that or me yet i hope what does miss ellis hope i would not counteract her hopes for the world but surely she cannot be so cruel as to disappoint mine to make me fear that she has changed her opinion to withdraw her amiable trust no my lord no not a moment could i hesitate were trust alone in question but the hurry of this instant the impossibility of detailing so briefly and by an imperfect account and why an imperfect account why dear miss ellis since you have the kindness to believe i may be trusted not confined to be the whole truth alas my lord how where in some parlour in the garden anywhere ah my lord what i have to say must be uninterrupted unheard but by yourself and i can command neither a place nor a moment free from intrusion sweet miss ellis sweet injured miss ellis i know i have witnessed the unworthiness of your treatment even aurora with all her gentleness has been as indignant at it nearly as myself all our wonder is how you bear it we burn we expire to learn what can urge so undue a subjection but i have not obtruded myself upon you only for myself i have galloped hither to prepare you and to entreat you not to be uneasy and to save you from any surprise by acquainting you that my uncle denmeath he stopped short as if thunderstruck juliet alarmed looked at him and saw that in bending over her to name in a lower voice his uncle his eyes had caught the direction of her packet for albert harley esq shocked at the evidently unpleasant effect which this sight produced and covered with blushes at the suspicions to which it might give rise juliet hastily exclaimed oh my lord i must no longer defer my explanation any every risk will be preferable to the loss of your esteem delight enchantment again were depicted on the countenance as they seized the faculties of the young peer and involuntarily his eager hands were stretching forwards to seize hers when he perceived just approach to them pale agitated and with the look of some one taken suddenly ill harley the colour of juliet now rose and died away alternately from varying sensations of shame and apprehension to which the deepest confusion soon succeeded as she discerned the contrast of the cheeks whitened by pale jealousy of harley with those of lord melbury which were crimsoned with the reddest hues of sudden suspicion and painful mistrust harley with a faint and forced smile bowed but stood aloof lord melbury seemed to have not alone his sentiments but his faculties held in suspension juliet with cruel consciousness perceived that each surmised something clandestine of the other and the immense importance which she annexed to their joint good opinion and the imminent danger which she saw of the double forfeiture soon reinvigorated her powers and addressing herself with dignity though in a tone of softness to lord melbury if you judge me my lord from partial circumstances she cried i have everything to apprehend for what i value more than words can express your lordship's approbation of the favour with which i am honoured by lady aurora granville but let me rather hope suffer me my lord to hope that by the opinion i have formed of the honour of your own character you will judge though at present in the dark of the integrity of mine turning from him as touched electrified he was beginning i have always judged you to be an angel she would have presented her packet to harley though without raising her eyes saying mr harley has so long and upon so many occasions honoured me with marks of his esteem and benevolence that i flatter myself i think i trust she stammered confused and harley who from the moment that lady aurora had been mentioned had recovered his complexion his respiration and his strength 
recovered also his hopes and his energy at the sight of the embarrassment of juliet not doubting however what were the contents of the packet he held back from receiving it though with a smile that conveyed the most lively expression of grateful delight at her palpable anxiety to preserve his esteem nay you must take your property she resumed with attempted cheerfulness yet blushing more deeply every moment at thus betraying to lord melbury that she had any property of mr harley's to return i will take your commands in every shape in which they can be framed cried harley gaily but you must not refuse to grant me at the same time directions for their execution the interest with which lord melbury listened to what passed was now mingled with undisguised impatience but juliet could not endure to satisfy him could not support letting him know that she retained money of harley's in her hands nor yet bear to suffer harley now the address had been seen to leave it still in her possession hesitating abashed she turned from one to the other with looks at lord melbury that seemed appealing for forbearance and to harley with downcast eyes that had not forced to encounter his but that were expressive of distress timidity and fear of misconstruction this pause while it astonished and perplexed lord melbury gave rise in harley to the most flattering emotions her disturbance was indeed visible and cruelly painful to him but since their meeting in the churchyard the severity of her reserve had seemed shaken beyond her power evident as were her struggles to call back its original firmness the more exquisitely he felt himself bewitched by this observation the more fondly he desired to spare her delicacy by concealing though not repressing his hopes but his eyes less under his control than his words air or address spoke a language not to be doubted of tenderness and sparkled with lustrous happiness juliet felt their beams too powerfully to mistake or even to sustain them her head dropped her eyelids nearly closed blushing shame tingled in her cheeks and apprehension and perturbation trembled in every limb perceiving and adoring her inability to find utterance harley with subdued rapture yet in a tone that spoke of his feelings to be at length in harmony with all his wishes was gently beginning an entreaty that she would adjourn this little dispute to another day when the words well if here ain't the very person we were talking of striking his ears he looked round and saw miss bydell accompanied by mr giles arb whose approach had been unheeded by them all from the deep interest which had concentrated their attention to themselves why mrs ellis she continued why what are you doing here i should like to know that i've just had a smart battle about you with my good friend mr giles he will needs have it that you paid all your debts from a hoard that you had by you of your own though i have told him i dare say an hundred times at the least i must needs be a better judge having been paid myself for my own share by that cross-grained baronet who's been such a good friend to you the sensations of juliet underwent now another change though shame was still predominant her fears of exciting the expectations she sought to annul in harley were superseded by a terror yet more momentous of giving ground for suspicion not alone to herself but to lord melbury that while fashioning a thousand difficulties to accepting the assistance that was generously and delicately offered by themselves she had suffered a third person that person also a gentleman to supply her pecuniary necessities she breathed hard and looked disordered but could suggest nothing to say while harley and lord melbury stood as if transfixed by disturbed astonishment well i protest resumed miss bydell if here ain't another of the people that we were talking of mr giles for i declare it's mr harley that i was telling you you know my good friend was the person that made poor miss jodrell make away with her herself because of his skimper scampering after mrs ellis when she had that swoon which to be sure had but an out-of-the-way look for the music would have taken care of her don't you think so yourself my dear 
the most painful confusion again took possession of juliet who would silently have walked away had not miss bidell caught hold of her arm saying don't be in a hurry my dear for you shan't be chid for i'll speak for you myself to mrs ireton i am mighty glad to hear that sir jasper is your friend my pretty lady said the smiling mr giles and i am mighty glad too that you have persuaded him to help pay your debts he's a very good sort of man where he takes and very witty and clever though he is crabbed too rather crabbed and waspish when he ain't pleased he always scolds all the men and indeed the maids too when they ain't pretty poor things and they can't help that else i dare say they would yet i am afraid i don't like them quite so well myself neither in my heart when they are ugly which is but hard upon them so i always do them double the good to punish myself but i'm prodigiously sorry you should have taken to that turn of running in debt my dear for it's the only thing i know to your disadvantage for which reason i have never named it to a single soul only it just dropped out before i was aware to miss bidell which i am sorry enough for but i am afraid it will be but hard to her poor lady to keep it to herself what do you mean by that mr giles cried miss bidell angrily do you want to insinuate that i don't know how to keep a secret i should be glad to know what right you have to fleer at a person about that when you blab out everything in such a manner yourself and before these two gentlemen too who don't lose a word of what passes i can tell you true good you are right there mrs bidell i did not think of that i protest however these two gentlemen have too much kindness about them to repeat a thing that may hurt a young person just coming as one may say into the world for she is but a chicken and my lord here who looks younger still is scarcely more than an egg so you may be sure he has no guile in him for he seems almost as innocent as herself however my pretty lady if you have still any more debts new or old only tell me who you owe them to and i'll run and fetch all the people here and we'll join together to discharge them at once for mr harley is always at home when he is doing good and this young nobleman can't begin too soon to learn what he is rich for so you can never be in better hands for taking up a little money when we settled the last batch you had no debt left but to mrs bidell and as the baronet has paid her she's off our hands so tell me whether there is any new one that you have been running up since wounded and nearly indignant at this demand none juliet spontaneously answered when catching a glance at lord melbury who involuntarily looked down his purse and the fifteen guineas of lady aurora rushed upon her memory and filled her again with visible embarrassment good good cried the pleased mr giles you could not tell me better news but are there any poor souls then that you forgot to mention in our last reckoning are there any old debts that you did not count inexpressibly hurt at a supposition so offensive to her sense of probity juliet hastily repeated no sir there are none but in raising her head and encountering the penetrating eyes of harley the terrible recollection of the capital into which she had broken and of the large sum so long his due struck cold to her heart though it burnt her cheeks with a dye of crimson yet were these sensations nearly nugatory compared with those which she suffered the next instant when miss bidell suddenly perceiving the direction upon the packet read aloud for albert harley esq her exclamations her blunt unqualified interrogatories and the wonder and simple ejaculations of mr giles arb filled juliet with a confusion so intolerable that she forced her arm for miss bidell with the attention to insist upon publicly restoring the packet to harley but harley confounded himself had advanced towards the house which frequently as they had stopped they now insensibly reached but from which he would most willingly have retrograded upon seeing ireton issue laughing into the portico the laugh of ireton whose gaiety was always derision and whose derision was always scandal though it was innocently echoed by the unsuspicious mr giles was as alarming to the two gentlemen and to juliet as it was offensive to miss bidell who pettishly demanded pray what are you laughing at mr ireton i should like to know that 
if it is at me you may as well tell me at once for i shall be sure to find it out because i always make a point of doing that ireton seizing upon harley exclaimed what monsieur le moniteur still hankering after our mysterious fair one when perceiving the wishes of juliet to pass on he wantonly filled up the doorway harley who alas could not but guess them though he dared not look at her hoped by delaying her entrance to catch a moment's discourse but the youthful lord melbury deeming all caution to be degrading that interfered with protection to a lovely female openly desired that ireton would stand aside and let the ladies enter the house most undoubtedly my lord answered ireton making way with an air of significant acquiescence miss bydell with a warm address of thanks to his lordship whose interference she received as a personal civility said this is like a gentleman indeed my lord and quite fit for a lord to do to take the part of us poor weak women against people that keep one standing out in the street because they think of nothing but joking and then telling juliet to follow her i can do no less she added as she entered the hall than be as good as my word to this poor young music-maker to save her a chiding poor creature for staying dawdling out so long when ten to one but poor mrs ireton has wanted her a hundred times for one odd thing or another but i shall take all the fault upon myself for the last part of the job because i can't deny but i held her a minute or two by the arm but what she was gossiping about before we came up to her my good friend mr giles and i is what i don't pretend to say though i should like to know very well for it had but an odd appearance i must own both your gentlemen having been talked of so much in the town about this young person the most pointed darts of wit and even the poisoned shafts of malice are less disconcerting to delicacy than the unqualified bluntness of the curious underbred for that which cannot be imputed to a spirit of sarcasm or a desire of shining passes to the bystanders for unvarnished truth as such the intimation of miss bydell was palpably received by ireton and by mr giles though with malevolent wilfulness by the one and by the other with the simplest credulity while lord melbury harley and juliet were too much ashamed to look up and too much confounded to attempt parrying so gross an attack yet both lord melbury and harley urged invincibly by a desire of knowing in what manner juliet was to be patronized by her loquacious mediatrix and how they might themselves fare in the account irresistibly entered the mansion though marvelling each at the curiosity and blaming the indiscretion of the other to avoid the aspersion of making a clandestine retreat juliet had decided however painful to her might be such an exertion openly to relinquish her situation with mrs ireton but she by no means felt equal to risking the irascibility of that lady before so many witnesses nevertheless when she would have glided from the party miss bydell again seizing her arm called out come don't be afraid mrs ellis i've promised to take your part and i am always as good as my word and then dragged rather than drew her into the drawing-room closely attended by lord melbury harley mr giles arb and ireton end of chapter sixty four recording by kirsten nelson